Finding Purpose, The Song of My Life, Episode 15, Where Have All the Flowers Gone? Welcome back, friends. Our disillusionment and disappointment at the time reminds me of this famous song, Where Have All the Flowers Gone? Long time passing, long time ago. We were appalled. Where is the love and peace we had expected to find in the flower power communities that we had heard so much about? We were beginning to experience that the hippies' dream of utopia had already come to an end, and with it, our dream was collapsing right in front of us. Thomas had already visited a few communes, asking if we could live on their land, and everyone had said no. He was discovering that the ideals of the hippies were not as wonderful as he had expected. We were sure that we had finally found the right place, near the beautiful coastal area at Howard's Creek. After a long drive from the Bay Area, we were so relieved to have reached our new home. I was eight months pregnant, and now all of our belongings, plus our teepee home, were stacked up outside with nowhere to go. The manager of the commune had arrived at our friend's house, banging on the door. He said we couldn't stay. We must leave immediately. He didn't even try to be friendly about the misunderstanding that had developed. Our new friends were at a loss for words because of his outbursts and demands. They tried to comfort us by saying they know of other places in the area where we could set the teepee up. But since we had met them a few weeks earlier, we were looking forward to being near a couple that already had experience with home births. Maybe Dad was right again. He had tried to warn us about moving on to some person's land that we didn't even know. We hadn't discussed any of the details. We planned our whole move based on our new friend's invitation, though they themselves were only renters on the property. I guess this was another typical naive approach to life that was common in our hippie mindset. We had felt sure this was the door that the universe had opened up for us. We had left our jobs, our cozy home and garden in Hayward, to move up to Northern California. Our desire was to live in a community with people who were like-minded, who were on a spiritual journey to live in oneness with nature like the Indians did. This is what we thought we wanted for our little family. Now it seemed that the universe had a different plan for us. We had no choice but to keep looking for a commune that would welcome us with our teepee. Thomas had already brought us this far by scouting out the area, so he felt confident he could find another place. This could get complicated because we didn't even have our own transportation for our belongings that were sitting out under the carport. I don't think that either of us wanted to admit this was a scary situation, especially considering we had a baby on the way the same month. Still, we did have peace that this was all for a purpose in the greater scheme of things. Our friends said we could stay at their house until we found something else, but I am sure they were hoping that it wouldn't take too long. They gave Thomas instructions on how to find a small road off of the main highway that led to a group of campers that they knew. They had pitched their tents illegally in a secluded forest area not too far from the beach. That wasn't exactly what we had in mind concerning a commune, but Thomas thought it was worth a try. So the next morning, he headed out to the highway to wait for a ride in that general direction. It seemed like a good plan until nighttime came and he still hadn't come back to the house. Our friends did think that was unusual, but it was time for bed, so they went upstairs, and I was left asleep on the living room couch. 
Of course, I couldn't fall asleep, laying there wondering what could have happened to Thomas. We didn't even know exactly where he would end up once he went out hitchhiking. It started getting stormy outside, and then my imagination went wild. What if he was in an accident and there was no one available to contact? Anything terrible could have happened out in the dark on that windy Highway 1. Or maybe he had found the campers and they were smoking dope all night. I already had my share of scary dramas with Thomas involving drugs, so I hope that wasn't the case. In the past, I had sometimes feared that I would be left without him, but by this time we were married and had a baby on the way. Now, though, we had no home, so there was more at stake. A couple of hours had gone by, and I still couldn't fall asleep. I kept tossing and turning, trying to get comfortable on the couch with my big pregnant stomach. Finally, I could hear that it was quiet outside, that the storm had passed, so I decided to get up and go out on the porch. I expected it to be dark, but was awestruck at the sight of the star-studded sky, framed by the mountains that surrounded us. The last time I had seen so many stars was with Thomas when we were camping in Utah. It was a majestic sight, and I should have been comforted by the grandness of the beauty, but on the contrary, it only made me feel small and afraid and all alone in this big world. I had a similar feeling to the times in West Berlin, where I was alone at home, not knowing where Thomas was, and then he would return, stoned out of his mind, and that would cause me to fear for his safety. These experiences made me feel uncertain as to our future together. So many thoughts were running through my mind as I stood there with my arms around our child in my tummy, hoping to sense some kind of comfort. Where had all of my philosophies and positive thoughts gone to? It seemed like God was just as far away as the stars, as I stood there alone, looking up into the sky, wanting to find some peace. Thomas and I had always been together on our adventures, and now, what would I do if my husband didn't return? I didn't know how or what to pray that night. My only thought was, God, where are you? And please bring my husband back to me. Though I didn't get any type of answer or a sign, there was nothing more that I could do but try to get some sleep. I went back into the living room and laid down, not knowing what tomorrow would bring. I was wondering why all my spiritual beliefs and philosophies, yoga, being a pure vegetarian and a good person, were not able to give me peace in this moment of fear and desperation. It was very clear to me that I still needed to find God and the meaning of life. As I reminisce about this now, I am reminded of Thomas's experience in the rain that I had talked about in episode 12. He was also out in the dark and calling out to God for forgiveness and wanting to feel connected to him as a father. That had been our purpose in coming this far, giving up our home to live in the mountains, to be near to God. We thought that God was in the creation and in Mother Earth, and that even the stars can speak to us. We thought this must be the truth because of all the ancient cultures in the world that had based their lives on these beliefs. But now, Thomas and I both had the experience that we found no hope or truth or real peace out in nature, not even by looking up to the stars, which were supposed to show us the way and give meaning to life. 
So after a little bit of sleep, I was awakened by the children in the house, and then Lemire came down to fix the breakfast. It was comforting to sit around the table with them, and we discussed the possible scenarios about where Thomas could be. Then, to our surprise, in walks Thomas as if nothing had happened. He was happy and had good news. He had spent the night with the campers because they were out all day looking for the best location for our teepee. They were all sure they had found the perfect place. It was on a hill overlooking the Pacific, but nestled within some trees that would protect us from the ocean breeze and fog. The only minor problem was that we would have to walk up a hill a little farther into the forest to get water. There was a pipe coming out of the mountain with fresh water. This would also be where we could take an ice-cold shower. Since the campers were already living illegally in the forest, it didn't seem to be a problem that the location they chose for our teepee was also on state property. Besides that big drawback, no one seemed to be worried that we were not near the main road or any town. There would be no access to a telephone if we needed anything. We would literally be all alone up there on the hill. That night, Thomas and I were together this time out on the porch. It was so uplifting listening to him play his flute out under the stars. I recognized the melody to be Amazing Grace, and the sound resonated throughout the whole area. We felt thankful that we had found a new place to live. The guys arrived the next morning and loaded up the truck. They seemed to be excited about the opportunity to learn how to set up a teepee. We said goodbye to Bob and Lemire, saying that we hope we will see you again. Off we went now for the second time with the goal to set up our teepee home. I think we followed the highway a bit north, then they turned off on a small dirt road that went towards the coastal hills. At the end of the road we parked and the men set about carrying our trunks, boxes and teepee poles up the hill to the chosen spot. This would be a first for all of us, setting up our camp the way Thomas and I had envisioned it. We decided that the guys would first pitch our small tent so that I could get organized with all of the food jars and unpack our kitchen supplies. I would then need to consider what to make for our first meal there. Thomas and the other men were excited about this challenge, which turned into a very long work day. The guys did a good job digging a hole for the air pipes that would be under the tarp floor of the teepee. Then, after setting up the poles and wrapping the canvas around them, they laid out the carpet we had brought and gathered rocks to make a fire pit. For the finishing touch, the guys had found an animal skull nearby, which they thought was really cool, so they hung it on a nearby tree. When the basic setup was finished, we thanked them for all of their help and they went back to their truck to drive to their own camp. I thought that the easiest dinner was to make some brown rice, but first I needed water. Though I had grown up camping with my parents, I had never been the one responsible to create a makeshift kitchen and do the cooking. Besides, at the camping grounds, there was always faucets to get the water you needed. So Thomas needed to hike up the hill to fill up a container of water for me to get started. We decided to use our little cooker so we wouldn't have to deal with making a fire that evening. We knew that it would take us a few days to get settled and come up with a routine for our teepee lifestyle. Thomas needed to have a plan for gathering dry firewood and then experiment with getting a fire started inside the teepee. The trick would be finding the right technique to keep the smoke going up and out the top flaps. 
I would need to make sure I always had a container of water in my kitchen tent for preparing meals and washing the dishes. My normal routine would be soaking different kinds of beans before cooking them and preparing seeds to grow as sprouts in bottles. For our first meal together in our teepee home, we lit the candles and sat on our mattress to eat our bowls of rice. We were looking forward to our new adventure, but were also exhausted after the big day. Patience would be necessary, taking one day at a time, learning how to live in this new environment. Waking up the next morning and opening up our teepee door, the first thing we saw was the forest. We couldn't believe that our dream had actually come true. I cooked us some oatmeal for breakfast, and then we decided to look around the area. Thomas needed to gather wood, and I wanted to look for anything edible like nettles or berries in the forest. The Back to Eden book had lots of tips on how to find and prepare food found in nature. By the third or fourth day, we decided to take a walk together in the forest, like we had done so often in our lives before. We discussed how strange it was that we were not allowed to stay at our friend's commune and had to go looking for another place to live. And now we were on our own. No other community would take us in. Then Thomas remembered the story in the Bible about Mary and Joseph when they were traveling and there was no one who would take them in, even though they had a baby on the way. They had expected to stay in a room, but there was nothing available, and they ended up alone in a stable where their baby was born. We found that an amazing comparison. We felt encouraged that another couple had that same experience. Thomas put his arms around me and tried to comfort me, saying, Don't worry, everything will be okay. We continued our walk through the forest in quiet meditation, pondering all of these deep thoughts. Even though we were alone there, we had accepted the situation and felt ready for the birth of our baby that we were expecting in three weeks. We had all of our birth supplies packed in a trunk, so that was all we needed. Like I had written to my mother-in-law, we felt secure and prepared because of what we had learned from the midwife. The next afternoon, it cooled off some, so we bundled up in our Mexican wool jackets and took a walk up the hill that overlooked the ocean. Looking down, we could see a beach that looked like where we had been on our first visit to Howard's Creek. We knew that it was near to our friend's house. The view of the ocean was breathtaking, and I was glad that I had my camera with me, so we took a few pictures and then sat down to watch a beautiful sunset. After our first week had gone by, I was thinking, now we can concentrate on our life here and being ready for our new baby. But to my surprise, Thomas said he was going to take some LSD and go up the hill to meditate and watch the ocean waves. I was so naive not to realize that he always seemed to have a stash of grass and pills that he had got from our friends back in Hayward. I had no idea that he brought LSD with him. When he came back hours later to the teepee and told me in the morning what he experienced, I tried to be understanding, but I couldn't relate anymore to his need to take drugs. He told me some of what had happened, but he was also kind of quiet and pensive that day. I was at least glad it wasn't one of those crying in the mud nights. I needed him to be normal and alert for when our birth started and our due date was coming closer and closer. Years later, this is how he told some people in Germany what he experienced that night. 
I remember one evening that was especially intense. I had taken a lot of LSD and wanted to come to that special place like paradise. For the first time, I finally arrived where I always wanted to be. I saw the whole universe was beautiful, full of peace and order. I had a deep feeling of love for my wife and our child that was about to be born. There was a warmth there. And then I knew I had reached enlightenment, however you want to describe it. But the most interesting thing was that at the same time, I felt a coldness in my heart. On one side, a love for my wife and everything was beautiful. Yet at the same time, I had the thought it wouldn't take much for me just to leave my wife. Of course, I didn't tell Christine that. At least I was smart enough not to say anything. But I was so shocked I had arrived in Nirvana and everything was beautiful. Yet at the same time, my heart was ice cold. I didn't know what I should do. Love on one side and on the other side, complete indifference and apathy. Then I decided this must be the price to pay for reaching the enlightened level. There was nothing else that I could do. No other books or gurus or stronger drugs could take me any farther or higher. So that was his dramatic experience. By the next day, he seemed to have recuperated, and we continued enjoying our new life up on the mountain. We were keeping busy with gathering wood, learning how to cook over the open fire, and hiking up the hill to shower and get water for our camp. Then one morning, we woke up to the sound of hammering in the nearby forest. We waited in the teepee until it was quiet again, and then Thomas went out to see what was going on. In the forest, he found new wooden signs that had just been posted. He came back to me, visibly upset, and said, Someone has put up signs that say, No trespassing, hunting zone. We thought this cannot be true. We are living in a dangerous area. We hadn't even considered that there could be wild animals around us. Once again, we had the question, Why is all of this happening to us? Where are the hippies and their love and peace communes when we need them the most? Like the song lyrics about the flower children. Where have all the flowers gone? Long time passing, long time ago. We were experiencing firsthand that the hippie dream had passed a long time ago. We had followed our hearts into the mountains, but we still hadn't found God or the peace that we were looking for. If only we had known at that time that true peace cannot be found in the human heart. Jesus said, My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I hope you enjoyed listening to our story today. Stay tuned for the next episode to find out what happened next. And maybe you know someone who would also like to listen in. Click on the share button. Bye for now.